Hello, I'm Alice Murray. I'm the editor of The Drawdown. And here with me virtually is Talia Misri, editor of Real Deals. Hi, Alice. Hello. <laughs> and welcome to the first edition of the Private Equity Editors podcast. Um, so these podcasts uh, aim to provide some insight into what we're hearing, reading, discussing and discovering through our coverage of the private equity market. Um, we speak to a wide variety of industry participants, um, various roles within the GPs, um, the investors, service providers, third parties, industry associations and um, occasionally authorities. And so with such rapid changes taking place in the markets and in our daily lives. We thought this would be a nice quick way to deliver the key insights we've been uncovering uh, over the past week or so. Okay, so our first, um, first area to look at is key developments. So Talia, I'm going to hand over to you. What's been the most interesting finding that you've come across this week? Thanks, Alice. Um, so I'd say mine is definitely to do with changing strategies um, in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so there's two, two key ideas that we're seeing at the moment. Um, I'd say one is definitely um, a slower involvement approach where funds are buying shares in companies with the eventual view to turn that into a buyout once we are through the crisis. A slower, more hesitant approach, but still a way that funds are looking to build secure and kind of stable relationships with these companies so that they can be a strong partner and um, hopefully eventually turn that into a, a full uh, deal on the other side. Um, and then the second, I'd say, which is kind of more uh, prominent at the moment, is this whole idea of whether buyout funds are turning into rescuers or even kind of going as far as saying, are they now looking to become social situations managers in light of the whole crisis? Um, so many of the larger private equity firms kind of do have deep enough pockets to bolster some of their companies through the crisis. Um, but it's a question of whether they're looking to also raise new funds um, from their investors to take advantage of distress opportunities that are out there. Yeah, yep, yeah, it's, yeah, I think that's, yeah, very well raised and, and absolutely um, the, the kind of the most interesting developments that, that that have been going on. I think what was it, what was interesting when when I was talking about it was that from the public company's point of view, that actually private equity buying up shares right now would be a really welcome thing. Yeah, you know that they, you know, not only do they have cash and and you know equity, so nice cash. It's not kind of a, a distressed debt buyer. Um, but they, you know, private equity brings brings with it a wealth of expertise um, and they'll have some kind of thesis around what they think that company could be doing to, to weather this storm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So really interested to see how how that will play out in the coming weeks. Um, certainly mm -hmm. something I expect that will happen. Definitely. Um, and then and then on your point, um, the kind of idea of being a rescuer or moving to um, moving I guess more formally into special situations mm -hmm. um, again absolutely something I've 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 uncovered as well um, to the point where I've heard of um, several LPs asking their managers if they would set up a special situations fund yeah 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's that's interesting. That shows that there is, you know, investors have cash that they want to invest. Yeah. Uh, they want to keep it with their private equity managers. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but they want to see them obviously taking, a you know, that, that more kind of distressed um, attitude towards the investment. Definitely, definitely. And I think just overall, it is really an opportunity for private equity firms to prove their worth in a sense and kind of really wipe that slate fully clean in terms of their reputation and show that they are able to operate as true partners and kind of add additional manpower to management teams at the moment, um, especially where kind of younger management teams may not have as much experience of going through crises like this. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, private equity has always kind of set out its stall on being able to be slightly uncorrelated from um, big market shocks and, Mm -hmm. you know, that longer term approach and active engagement. So, um, yeah, I guess guess they've got the spotlight now and it's time time to see what what can be delivered. Definitely. And what, what else have you found at the moment? So given that we, our focus is, is much, you know, very niche within the kind of operational finance functions of private equity, um, obviously a key thing last week, uh, March 31st, was um, end of year reporting. Yeah. And with reporting, obviously the, the kind of the meat on the bones there is all about valuations and the financial statements of the portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was quite that's been quite a hot topic and and has colored a lot of my discussions um but it's been a very mixed bag in terms of um what i've you know the way in which gps are reacting and how they're coping yeah um so on one hand i had spoke to a couple of fund administrators um you know and asked kind of what they're seeing has the workflow changed in terms of their you know their delivery of these reports um, and a lot of them seem quite confident. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they seem to almost, you know, a bit sanguine that their clients are reporting on time. Um, and, you know, thanks to their excellent cloud-based systems, there's yeah. been, you know, barely any problems moving to remote working. It's all been quite seamless. Um, but uh, keeping my journalist hat on, you know, I'm not surprised that they're saying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but then speaking to auditors and valuation specialists, the sentiment there felt a bit more realistic. Uh, and the key message that came through was about buying time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and on both sides of the of the picture here, that it, it was either the clients, the GPs themselves were, were saying to the auditors, look, can we just hold back on this right now? Um, we want to see what happens in the next week or so. But equally, it sounded like the auditors were advising their GPs to wait a bit as well and maybe just see if they could get a bit more clarity. And then going into the actual houses, into the P firms themselves, as is always the case when we when we try and find a line in what's going on, it's entirely dependent on the on the fund, on the LP base, on the portfolio, on the team. Um, but what was very clear is the levels of communication mm. um, that, regardless of what each house is up to, what they're facing, there was a, a real understanding that you know the LP perspective is that they are invested in these funds and they need to know their exposure. If the world turns up to, upside down, they just need to know what's going on just to get some picture. But on the whole, I think that the key thing to take away from this is that uh, GPs 
have been actively have been I know I'd go to say they've been proactive in communicating to their LPs. But given the nature of this crisis, it's definitely bred a lot, a lot of understanding. You know, I don't think anyone expects. You know, one one quote that we had is that you know LPs don't expect this to be a pretty picture. Mm. Um, but the key is is to to keep talking, and it, and it definitely seems like that's playing out. So no, no, I agree. So we kind of have been looking at valuations as well, um, and it's clear kind of people are aware that that they are likely to see a drop, um, and kind of major adjustments are expected um, in the June reporting. Um, but as you say, kind of it is positive to know that kind of auditors and GPs views are in line to an extent um, in terms of kind of holding back and, and seeing how things play out. Um, and then also, um, I think even before this whole crisis, um, LP reporting was a major thing on the agenda. Um, but that's kind of coming to light even more so now. And with a lot of the conversations we're having with GPs, that is one of the key, as well as kind of communications more regularly with their portfolio companies. Um, the communications with their LPs has also become kind of one of their key, key um, kind of action points um, and something they're having to do a lot more regularly to, to make sure everyone is in the know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. OK, good stuff. OK, so now um, let's turn to. Um, what we've done mm-hmm. um so this is about kind of highlighting what we think is our most interesting output over the last week kind of what we've what we've written um and I've, I'm actually picking two articles but but they're really <laughs> so um the first is the, the cover feature that uh, has just come out in our brand new swanky April print magazine. Mm-hmm. And that was looking at fund finance. Um, and the, the kind of premise of that piece was that the variety of fund financing products now on offer are of huge value to CFOs, uh, which is obviously our core readership. Um, that the flexibility afforded by these types of credit essentially gives CFOs a lot more influence throughout the whole structure of their firm and their fund. Um, mm-hmm. That good facilities can help fundraising. Obviously, we know that they help uh, to smooth capital calls, uh, which also then goes some way in supporting investor relations efforts. Um, But then with some of the newer products that have come to market, namely NAV, hybrid, preferred equity, that they're also supporting deal execution as well as financing the portfolio companies. Um, And then more broadly, it kind of speaks to just good treasury management. Yeah. Um, So that was um, a big piece and it was a lot to put together, but um, I'm really pleased with how it came out. But then, obviously, it came out right in the middle of the world, kind of being turned on its head. Uh, yeah. Um, so I wanted to check back in to it and just say, okay, well, is you know, does it does that argument still stand? Um, you know, what what difference what difference has happened now that now that this um, pandemic's broken out? Mm. Um, and thankfully, it seems that the argument's um, perhaps slightly stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote a second piece called Fund Finance to the Rescue. Um, and it looks at how CFOs have been that now that they're using these credit lines um, as a way to kind of instantly fly liquidity into their portfolio companies. 
um, as you know, many companies have seen seeing kind of major drops in income or, or zero income, and they only have expenditures. Um, so being able to access this kind of immediate liquidity means that um, that the PE firms are able to kind of continue, you know, supporting salaries being paid. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it, I think it, 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 in several cases, we're already seeing that it means the difference of, you know, keeping a business alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the flip side to that, thinking about, you know, existing debt that's within the portfolio companies, kind of namely leveraged finance, um, there's clearly conversations going on with those lenders um, around amendments and waivers, um, but they, it feels like they're still in discussion um whereas the fund finance um you know it's there and it's ready to go yeah i think that links in really nicely alice with what you're saying about keeping um business alive um so i think the most interesting story we have written uh recently so it came out uh yesterday and then again on our newsletter this morning um titled new new bbca chair leads support for national treasure um so that's to do with uh, Neil McDougall, who's the incoming chair of the BBCA, uh, he has committed and he started the initiative to committing um, to gifting his daily expenses that he would have spent on his commute to work um, to the big issue. Because uh, obviously the kind of national publication kind of is generally sold by vendors on the streets. So it's sold by uh, kind of people in poverty and homeless people. Um, and since the UK has gone into lockdown, obviously that isn't, is the revenue is completely dropped to zero. Um, so I think it's a really nice thing that, that Neil's kind of initiated there um, and with kind of the backing of Silverfleet and the BBCA, uh, it's kind of a really kind of it puts private equity in a positive light as well and obviously helps with um, the funding of that business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they've also obviously got their um, the big issue foundation, which is the, the charity part whereby uh, revenue from the big issue then goes back to the employees. Um, so it helps with their accommodation finding them at homes as well as um, kind of setting up bank accounts. Uh, so obviously you can't kind of set a bank account without a permanent address. So that's all really critical, and especially right now when their employees are among some of the most vulnerable in the UK. I think it's it's a really good initiative that that kind of pe- more people should start to back. Mm, absolutely, yeah. I think yeah. Hats off to Neil for for um, for initiating that. It's um, yeah, seems wholly sensible and the right thing to do. Um, and and then you know and speaks so much to already what we've been talking about today in terms of um, you know PE private equity really being able to be a force for good during this yeah. time. Um, um so yeah a couple of, you know we mentioned that you know it's good capital to, to put into public equities right now that they are able to support their existing portfolio companies right so now let's um move to our stat attack segment um so talia what has been the most interesting or shocking or revealing statistic that you've uncovered this week okay well i'm going to be greedy here as well because i do have two um <laughs> 
But so I think the first one relates to ESG. Um, so kind of from a piece that we wrote in the last issue of the magazine, it's just come out today, actually, um, kind of speaks on ESG funds and how the, with the plummeting oil prices, this is the chance for ESG funds to really kind of show that, that show that kind of they're, they're able to perform better. So far in 2020, 59% of US ESG funds are doing better than the S&P 500 index and 60% of European ESG funds um, have also beat the MSCI Europe index. So it really kind of does show um, it could really be a turning point for this strategy in investing. Um, mm -hmm. And it shows that investors are going to really start looking at companies that kind of did right by their, by their employees and did right by their supply chain um, and hopefully kind of but deploy their capital there more so after after all of this yeah uh, yeah that definitely definitely seems to be a clear um a clear thing piece of thinking that's coming through I think there was the last week and uh, McKinsey yeah. put out a, a very good report the kind of the new private equity playbook yeah yeah and one of the points on there was um you know investing now as a as a good citizen, mm. yeah, kind of, a, you know, thinking about, thinking more, um, more broadly about the impacts of investments. Um, and yeah, I, I can only see that um, what's happened in recent weeks will, will just further uh, the thinking around ESG. I think, yeah, it's going to be such a, uh, such a kind of mm -hmm. milestone in the, in private equities ESG development. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but then the other one I wanted to to kind of bring up, Alice, mm -hmm. um, kind of potentially goes against it, even though it's it's small numbers here. Mm -hmm. um, but from the CIL sentiment tracker, so they've started that um, from this week, and I think it's going to be a regular um, kind of just a report that they put out. Um, they found that fifteen percent of investors see the current seat. So. This is for it, but then it goes against. So 15% of investors see the current environment as a buying opportunity, um, whereas 25% intend to freeze their investment altogether. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't don't haven't looked that much into it as of yet, but it's it's definitely something that caught my attention. That is super interesting, and and whatever you make of it, I think highly reflective of this ambivalent feeling. I know you've been looking at, at quite a few um, reports and such as well. What what have you found? What stood out? What stood out for me was um, it came from Evestment. Um, they have they have a thing called Market Lens, mm. which is a library of thousands of documents from public and corporate pension plans, um, and so it's kind of like a searchable database which you can slice and dice uh, for key terms or um, whatever it is that you want. Um, and um, someone from within investment ran a search and found that since December, um, there's more than 200 documents and counting that mention COVID-19 or coronavirus. Wow. Yeah. So I think, yeah, when you put, put that into context, that's, you know, that's intelligence that um, pension plans have picked up on. Um, and and have kind of yeah put it out in their reports and in their presentations. So, I mean, I imagine a, a massive uptick of, of those mentions will be more recent. But to yeah. think that this has been on the agenda of pension plans since 
late last year I think yeah, yeah there's something there in the, the beauty of hindsight we knew that this was coming but yes I'm, I'm sure obviously that that number that 200 figure will definitely rise as well um with kind of end of year reports and okay let's um lighten the mood so um now let's think about things that kind of made us smile or um gave us some positivity or perhaps some strength um yeah. and um I'm going to step away from things that are purely private equity something that I have continually been returning to particularly over the last week is um a really great article by the Harvard Business Review mm-hmm. and it's called this this the discomfort you're feeling is grief uh, uh, yeah, um, I'll put, I'll pop a link into to this article within within the article that we published this in. Mm-hmm. Um, so aware that this, you know, it doesn't sound like the happiest piece of reading, um, but as I say, it's been a huge source of strength for me. Um, and essentially, what it's getting to is naming what um, what our emotional reaction to to this major change probably is right now, and and it, and it's grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just going to read an extract from um, quite early on in the article to, to kind of give it a bit more colour. Um, so they've got they've got an, a kind of a psychotherapist expert and he's saying, okay. what he's saying is, yes, we're feeling a number of different griefs. Um, we feel that the world has changed and it has. We know that this is temporary, but it doesn't feel that way. And we realise things will be different. Just as going to the airport is forever different from how it was before 9-11, things will change and this is the point at which they changed. The loss of normalcy, the fear of economic toll, the loss of connection. This is hitting us and we're grieving collectively, but we're not used to this kind of collective grief in the air. Um, But don't work like (laughs) it. Take, so then the article then proceeds to kind of take you through, you know, what grief is and the different stages. Um, but then just to, to kind of cheer things up. So from much further down in the article, I'll read another another extract. Yeah. Um, it says, this is a temporary state and it helps to say it. I've worked for 10 years in the hospital system. I've been trained for situations like this. I've also studied the 1918 flu pandemic. The precautions we're taking are the right ones. History tells us that. This is survivable. We will survive. This is a time to overprotect and not overreact. And I believe we will find meaning in it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So so that's quite deep. (laughs) But I'm quite a deep guy. (laughs) Um, And it's just, yeah, it's just been of huge amount of comfort, particularly within my household as well. We're finding ourselves, you know, turning back to this article um and I guess yeah more than anything it's just it's just been very reassuring to know that you know everyone is going through this change um, yeah and the the emotions that we're feeling are wholly wholly reasonable reactions to what's going on um mine is similar um I'm sure well, again, as I say, um, at this time, everyone is home bored and sending each other videos and quotes and things mm-hmm. to get you through the day. Um, so this was a quote that was sent to me and I kind of keep turning turning back to it as well. And it's really kind of about looking forward and looking at that light, in the end of, that light at the end of the tunnel and 
being excited for for what's to come after this mm-hmm. um so here it is um but imagine what it'll be like when it's all over imagine how amazing it'll be when we finally when they finally give the all clear and people can go out again the world will explode with joy there'll be street parties and raves and hugging will come back mm-hmm. and you'll be dancing to new songs that people even now are composing in their rooms which will be the most outrageously life-affirming catchy songs ever written Mm-hmm. It will be the best time ever, like the Roaring Twenties, the Summer of Love, Acid House and Britpop combined. Everything has its equal and opposite reaction. And however sad and worried you feel this summer, next summer will be the most exciting and carefree of your life. So, yeah, some may see that as cheesy. I see it as joyous and full of hope. So, <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, it gave me chills a bit. Um, yeah, thinking about the joy. Oh, God, yeah, no, that was really lovely. We will get through. And, and, and yeah, and as we've been saying throughout this conversation, there is so much good that can be found here and, and opportunity, you know, in, in the right ways, um, you know, improving reputations, showing private equity strengths, finding different ways of coming together and supporting each other, better caring for, you know, the environment through you know increased ESG investing yeah there's a lot of good to be to be looked at and to be held on to definitely definitely including this excellent podcast (laughs) (laughs) what a great way to finish (laughs) um okay excellent well um Talia as always such a pleasure to to check in with you and to to speak with you thank you so much